raids. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Raise, raise. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's Graves. God damn it, I hate Jake Paddock! Alright, we're grading the Golden Knights after a beatdown of Ed's non-playoff contending LA Kings. First topic is Alec Martinez. Uh-oh. Did Ed did Ed mute himself for Grainy's grades? Check the segment with his oh, it. oh man. Oh my god. Fail. Man, I just I, I was get caught up in the, had the peanut butter going. A pass. A pass. I think he's playing really going. well. I think and by the way, uh came back um came back against the team he won a few rings with and uh scored I which do you like this new Clean up the garbage kind of stuff. What was that nonsense about last night? You got to score ugly goals, Ed. You, they oh, can't all be is that what that time. means? They can't all be. Yeah, they can't all be one timers from Mark Stone to Max Pacioretty. Sometimes you got to score an ugly goal every now. And okay, then. that's what I hope. Yeah, the, the people were very excited about that on Twitter. No, I think he's playing really well. Um, kind of understated guy. I don't know if he like, I don't know if he likes doing media very much. Um, I think he. There's guys in that team who really like doing the Zooms and others. I'm like, I don't know if this guy really wants to be here at this point. Um, but here nor there, I'll give him an A pass because it seems like he's playing well. A right. pass. Scored a goal against his former team. That's obviously good. He led the team in block shots. He blocked six of them. But blocking shots isn't always a good thing because he had a Corsi and an expected goals under 50% last night. He and Shea Theodore uh, played the most minutes against the Kings' top line of Kopitar, Ayafalo, and Brown. And they posted against that line a Corsi of 30%. This is the same type of conversation we had after the Colorado series where Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez got matched up against the Nathan McKinnon line and they got beat down. That happened again last night. Now, Alec Martinez scored, so it helps make up for it, and the Kings didn't actually score a lot in that game, but they need Alex Petrangelo back. They need Petrangelo back because they need to take Shea Theodore off the other team's best line because Theodore and whoever it is, whether it's Alec Martinez or anybody they put with Shea Theodore, they're not good enough. Shea Theodore is not good enough to handle the other team's best line. They need Petrangelo back. So I'll give uh, Alec Martinez, you score a goal, that's a big deal, so you still get a B, just can't go much higher than that. All right. Minus. Next topic, I did not give him a minus, Jared. Why do you keep taking... uh, liberties with your grading jared will you start being positive around this place come on yeah don't put in minuses when they're not there asterisk next topic yeah tomash no six goal well (laughs) i'm gonna say incomplete because i was watching baylor so you help me out incomplete (laughs) yes incomplete okay so tomash no six goal was the goal scored last night where zach white cloud Shot it so far wide that it went off the boards behind the net and bounced to the other side of the net for Tomas Nosek to score a goal from like right inside the crease. So my grades on this: Tomas Nosek gets an A, a. scored a goal. That's great. Uh, Zach Whitecloud though 
gets a C. C. Because he got an assist, which is a good thing, but he got an assist because he missed the net by 20 feet, and the puck bounced off the boards to the opposite side to a wide-open Tomas Nosek, uh, which means the sport of hockey gets an F. F. Because the sport of hockey is out here rewarding a guy who missed the net by 20 feet to get an assist because he missed so badly, it ended up on Tomas Nosek's stick, and he put it in the back of the net. So the sport itself, big F. F. Okay, with that explanation, I will continue with incomplete asterisk. <laughs> incomplete. Asterisk. All right, the next topic for you, Ed, is media timeouts. Well, you know where I'm going with this. Um, I know I did follow Twitter enough last night, along with Jared's comments about did anyone score? What was his name? Which I thought was a great comment. Um, I will go with anything, anything. That makes a game longer because, you know, I'm very selfish about this when I'm writing. So anything that makes a game longer for me is an F minus minus. F minus minus. So today, this, this is more of a personal intrigue for me. But today, media timeouts, it, we're, we're giving it an A plus. A plus. Because normally. Obviously, you don't game, have an editor screaming at you, but go ahead. In a hockey game, there are three media timeouts per period, right? Anytime there's a stoppage under 14 minutes, under 10 minutes, and I think it's under six minutes. The first stoppage under those times, uh, they go to a media timeout. They go to a commercial. But in the third period last night, between the Golden Knights and Kings, there was only one media timeout because there were only four stoppages in the entire period. Now, NHL rules say you can't take a media timeout after a goal, and you can't take a media timeout after icing, right? Of those four stoppages, one was a goal and one was icing, right? There were two other stoppages. One of them did lead to a media timeout, but the fourth and final stoppage didn't come until the final minute, and they did not take a media timeout in the final minute. So they played an entire period, 20-minute period. It took them less than 25 minutes in total to play that third period. And I am always fascinated in hockey when they somehow manage to miss media timeouts because a game just goes and the game never stops because that can happen in hockey. There just sometimes is no reason to stop play. Everybody keeps jumping on and skating around until they get tired and they come off and the refs never blow their whistle. So is this a situation where you give it an A and I give it an F and we mean the same thing? Yes, it is. It is exactly yeah. that situation. Yes. Yeah, that's never happened before. All Check. Right. All right, yeah, uh, next topic. The next topic is some breaking news for you, Ed. Elliot Friedman just tweeted that Nick Holden has been placed on waivers by the Golden Knights. Incomplete. Incomplete. <laughs> pass. I have pass. I'm going to pass. Okay, uh, in your mind, take us through what that means, because we've been talking about what you're doing at deadline and what kind of moves you're making. How does this translate now? So Nick Holden is making $1.7 million. It's not a lot. Uh, He is more expensive, a million dollars more expensive than a Dylan Coghlan right now and a Nick Haig, who are the two guys that, well, they've already replaced him in the lineup uh, as it is. So once Alex Petrangelo comes back, and I believe he's eligible to come back on Thursday, I think is when he can come back off uh, uh, long-term IR. Um they will have seven defensemen if with Nick Holden gone. So Nick Holden would have been the eighth defenseman if Alex Petrangelo comes back on Thursday. Your eighth defenseman making $1.7 million. 
is quite a bit. So if he gets claimed, that that, that 1.7 comes completely off the Golden Knights books and they'll have a little bit more salary cap space. If not, they'll create a little bit because I think you get to a create... Little. I think it'll create 600,000, I think will be the number, with him on waivers, or with him in the AHL. So... It'll create some salary cap space. It makes more sense to do it to him than, say, Dylan Coglin because Coglin makes a million dollars less. Uh, but I'm, I assume that means, A, Petrangelo is coming back. A. And I assume that means, B, that B. they are very confident <laughs> with Dylan Coglin and Nick Haig uh, being their C. sixth and seventh defenseman the rest of the way. I don't have a C for you. So I'll give, it an a. Now? I'll give it an A for A. You. What do they call it? The Hague bomb? Or is that what? Is that what I'm? I I I gotta catch up. Hager on the bomb, like like a Jaeger yeah, bomb, Twitter but Hager bomb. Yeah, it's not vernacular there. As as much as we criticize nicknames, Hager bomb is very good. Hager bomb is an excellent nickname. Is Ooh. is Hague Hager? Because you can't really say Hagee. Well, now he's Hager bomb. You just throw the bomb. Oh. Yeah. So we're gonna get a zoom where some guy goes. I really thought Hager bomb played well tonight. Somebody said Hager bomb like two nights ago. About like on the Hager. zoom. Yeah, one of the players did. Oh, no, one of the players doing it is one thing. If a media member does that, I... I oh, I, that's I, what, okay, yes. That, I that got to text Sage and just go, take their credentials. Okay, there's no chance in one of those Zooms someone in the media asked about Hager Bomb. No, I don't believe a media member okay. said Hager Bomb on a Zoom. But it's coming. When it's you, coming, Ed. You guys, know it's coming. Oh, when you guys are back in studio and we got JR in here, we'll all do Hager Bombs. Yeah. Oh, I've got a, I've got a prop swap ticket on the first one to do it, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right, next topic for grades, Ed, is Oscar Danska's new mask. I was waiting for this because I saw it on the rundown. This is the easiest thing for me um, because we don't we don't have an N, which really stinks. Because if I did have an N, and I'd say C N for care not. So I'll just leave it at incomplete because care not. Incomplete. D C. Okay. <laughs> okay, exactly. D F C. Exactly. All you had to do was D C or Jared's D F C for don't care or don't effing care. Oh man, darn it! How did you? How Fail. Did you, how did you get I, I read care because I like you know care not. I kind of say that I care not about that. But uh, so let's go back and I'll change it to D C. D C. Incomplete. Okay. okay, so Oscar Danska's new mask gets an A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Uh, he's got Star Wars on it. There's Ahsoka and Rey. And the reason he gets an A+, plus from me, a plus. is because I am someone who thoroughly enjoyed the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, despite every person that likes Star Wars hating the uh, sequel trilogy. And Rey is great, and everybody hates Rey. Oscar Dansk put, him on, put her on his mask, and that's phenomenal, so he gets an A+. Plus. Okay. okay, so a plus. I, Jared knows this. This makes it far easier for me to give an F because I've never seen Star Wars. Fail. That's my grade there for you. Fail. <laughs> okay. Also, Ed, Ed, you'll like this. Ray on his mask. I know you have no idea who Ray is. Uh, she has her yellow lightsaber, which is the lightsaber she gets at the very end of Star Wars, which is a nice detail as well. I don't know who Ray is. Is Ray a character? Ray yes. is a character, yes. Okay, no chance. I, I'm telling, I'm telling you, Clay and I have talked about this. He was also very disappointed. It's just a, it's just a known fact that I have not seen any of those movies. You had a pandemic. 
That's what I watched. <laughs> yeah, that's I what, hadn't seen any of them why. until the pandemic, and I watched all of them. That's why I watched Netflix and, uh, you know, watched Ozarks uh, seven times. Fail. Jared, did you have anything else to say besides yelling at Ed? I mostly <laughs> just wanted to be like, the people who don't like the sequel Star Wars series are a bunch of, like, jackasses who just want to be mad about stuff. There are actual problems with the prequel films that we could discuss. The sequels, the sequel trilogy is demonstrably fine. Yes, it is. I see. We, we did this on Technically Correct, Ed, where I compared Star Wars fans to NBA fans, and they hate the newest Star Wars because it's not, it's never going to be as good as what they grew up with. It's the same thing right. as NBA fans in the 90s. It's not going to live up to their expectations because they think what they grew up is grew up with is the best thing ever, when in reality, it's all kind of the same. They all have Well, see, that's why you have to be me, and then you don't have any expectations because you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I didn't know anything about them until I watched them about a year. It was about this time last year that I watched all uh, 11 movies in the Star Wars universe. And yeah, here I am today telling you the sequel trilogy is perfectly fine. And put Ray on your mask. Oscar Dansk is great. All right. We got to go to break because Bischoff's Briefs is up next. But first, you got a chance to win a two-foot sub from Porta Subs. The phone number 702-364-1100. We will take caller number four at 702-364-1100. You will win a two-foot sub from Porta Subs. Caller number four at 702-364-1100. The rules of Scrabble are simple. First, each player pretends to mix the tiles while trying to feel for the letter A. Bischoff's Briefs. The game does not officially begin until one player reminds all the others that the first word scores double. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Bischoff Brief. Players then take turns laying down words until someone does a bad job hiding the fact that they drew a blank. Bischoff's Briefs. Upon seeing the blank draw, each player must make a bad joke about the tiles in their possession. Bischoff's Briefs. Play continues until each turn takes longer than open heart surgery, and the game ends when one person uses the last of their letters. Even though at this point no one likes that person, they're still referred to as the winner. Bischoff's Briefs. And that's how you scrabble. Congratulations to Jeff. Jeff won the two-foot sub from Porta Subs. And congratulations to Mike. Mike won the two tickets earlier in the show to Cowabunga Bay. Bischoff's Briefs today is going to yell at college basketball coaches. Because we got a pretty good example last night of foul trouble and its impact on a college basketball game. Baylor uh, was blowing Arkansas out in the first half, uh, but then Davion Mitchell picked up his third foul with about eight minutes to go in the first half, and Davion Mitchell sat down with his third foul. Arkansas ended up making a run after getting down by 18 points, and it was a a pretty close game uh, for most of the second half. But Scott Drew deserves credit for playing Davion Mitchell, his second best player, uh, with two fouls in the first half, because... One of the things I hate the most that college coaches do is when a player picks up his second foul in the first half, he's an auto-sit, that that guy automatically goes to the bench for the rest of the first half. 
You see it in the second half as well. Somebody picks up a third foul early in the second half or picks up a fourth foul at any point in the second half, and that player automatically goes to the bench and sits there for quite a long time. But here's the problem with it. Coaches are afraid their player is going to foul out, and coaches are afraid that they're not going to have one of their better players available to them at the end of the game. And there's a couple of of logical flaws here. The first one is coaches doing this are assuming that the final minute of a game is more valuable than any other minute of a basketball game when all the points count the same in the final minute. You shoot it from behind the arc, it's three points in the final minute, just like it is at any other point in the game. It's not a more valuable minute. All the minutes count the same. The other thing, that the other logical flaw that coaches have is that when you sit a player because they're in foul trouble, You are trying to avoid them fouling out of the game. And the punishment when you foul out of the game is that that player can no longer play, that that player has to sit on the bench and watch. But when a player is in foul trouble and a coach sits them for an extended period of time, the coach is essentially fouling their player out of the game themselves. Because guess what? When you take a guy out of the game in foul trouble... He's doing the same thing he would have been doing if he fouled out of the game, and that is sitting on the bench and watching. So the way coaches handle foul trouble, they should be much more aggressive, especially with their best players, and especially with guys they trust. You can play and be effective and and take a few less risks and not get that third or not get that fourth foul. It's certainly possible, but just in general, College coaches need to be more aggressive playing guys that get in foul trouble. Just because somebody picks up their second foul in the first half doesn't mean they need to sit and watch the last eight minutes of the half. Just because somebody gets their third or fourth in the second half doesn't mean they need to go sit down and watch. Because guess what? You're fouling them out yourself as a coach when you do that. Yeah, I I totally agree. And you have to then put it on the really good players to know what they're doing. Perfect example last night. Um, Note fouls out for Arkansas, and it was a horrible fifth foul because he knew he had four, JT Note, and he still was called, I believe, on a charge, and you have to pull up at that point. If you look at Davion Mitchell in the second half, and I'm sure you remember a lot of these, and they were ahead, so it's it's easier to do in your head. He backed off a ton. If anyone was near him on a drive, he backed off. And he, he would really just relinquish layups because he knew they were ahead. So I'm with you on not taking them out. And I'm also, you know, with players who, you know, are smart enough and know what they're doing enough to where they just don't put themselves in bad position. Like I said, that's two examples. Nothing was horrible in that position. He had to pull up there. He didn't. He got it. Especially the way charges and blocks are called now. And at most of the time, I have no idea what they're going to call because I think, you know, they're so inconsistent with this. But then you watch Mitchell on the other end, and he didn't let himself near anybody when he, when he got in foul trouble in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's too bad that it's just an automatic, especially with your best players. If you have a guy out there who's not one of your best players, someone on the bench can give you what he's giving you or close to it, okay, you want to sit the guy with two fouls, but you're really, really good players. And I am glad that Drew stuck with Mitchell, even though he picked up his third. I think I, I'm with you on that. I think you play your best guys and trust that they're smart enough to, you know, stay out of trouble. Uh, Mitchell didn't pick up a foul the rest of the game. Yeah, like he he got his third I mean, foul. Yeah, with eight yeah. minutes to go in the first half, they he sat. I I, I can understand sitting a guy with three fouls three, in the yes. first half because yeah. if you get another one, then you got to you're, you're, you're really away from getting eliminated or kicked yeah. out. But 
Davion Mitchell is the perfect example of, okay, he played pretty much the entire second half and did not pick up a single right. foul. And if like that's what you're hoping for as a head coach, that, okay, this guy's in foul trouble, I'm going to play him anyways because I, he can play without picking up a single foul. Guys can play well, college basketball without fouling for 10, 15 minutes at a time. And did you hear, I think Seth Davis said, I don't know the exact number in the plus-minus the the number was outrageous with him on the floor comparative to when they sat him with three. I mean, it was like, that's how important he is. He's, I think he's tremendous, but yeah. And then you look at that number and boy, you really know why Drew played him with two fouls because if they understand his importance, um, you have to play him. And you're right, when he gets three, you have to send him at that point, but you're right. And he didn't pick up another foul because again, he was smart enough to back off a lot of times because they were either ahead. He knew that they weren't chasing any kind of score. And he was smart, and it didn't work out for Arkansas on the other side. You know, one of the, you know, obviously their best bench player and one of their better players. Yeah, and and uh, Scott Drew this year has been one of the more aggressive coaches with playing guys mm-hmm. when they get into foul trouble. Because fortunately for us, Ed Ken Palm tracks that. I knew you were wondering if Ken Palm tracked that or not, but they do. Uh, playing guys that get into foul trouble. Baylor was one of the top 100 most aggressive teams. UNLV was actually pretty aggressive this year under TJ Otzelberger when it came to playing guys. Uh, that were in foul trouble in the first half. But it's just, and listen, some of it can depend on the team and which players in foul trouble. Like you bring up J.D. Note, he comes off the bench for Arkansas. That's not one of their best players. Like you normally don't really care too much about bench players and their foul trouble because, well, that guy's going to be on the bench for the end of the game anyway. So if it's a bench player, it's generally speaking, it's fine. It's not a big deal whatsoever. Uh, when it's your best player, that's when coaches get afraid, even though those are the ones you want playing the most minutes regardless. So you should be playing them through the foul trouble even more. Mm-hmm. So I like it from Scott Drew last night. I'm uh, glad that from, uh, even Ken Palm keeps us up to date. Of course. What doesn't Ken Palm track? It's I don't great. know. What, what? I mean, let's grade Ken Palm. A, A, A pass. <laughs> a, what else a, would you give him? A, A. <laughs> Pass. Phenomenal. Check. <laughs> Plus. We got, we got, how often do they play guys in foul trouble? Average height, yeah. minutes continuity, experience. We got strength of schedule. Oh, you know what Ken Palm doesn't grade? What's that? Meetings between a head coach and one of his best players. Oh, that's true. We do not have yeah. that metric on here. We got to find that, that, baby. Yeah, we got to yeah, find the find uh, momentum. Uh, yeah, he doesn't grade oh, momentum, momentum either. He does momentum. Not, no, he doesn't believe in momentum. There is no there is no metric for momentum, maybe because it's not real. What are you woeing about, Jared? I mean, what if I he you say it's not real? As soon as it pops up on the Kid Palm website, all of a sudden you go, "Well, we have a metric for momentum." If somebody can prove momentum is real and measurable, then I will be on board with us talking about momentum being real. Okay, that's not fun. You have to be adamant. That in your wrongness. No, I I am Jared. I am one hundred new information. This is sports radio. No, no, I am one hundred percent confident. No one will be able to measure momentum with a number. I am one hundred percent confident that no, no it's one impo- will be able it's impossible. To do that because That's momentum impossible. is not real. All yeah. all you have to do is when you watch sports. Make a little note every time an announcer says a team has momentum and then just yeah. keep track of the score from there and see how many times that team actually outscores the opponent the rest of the game. 
because it's not real. You'll they'll they'll probably get outscored more often than not. Maybe negative momentum is a real thing. All right, coming up next, we will talk to Mike DeCourcy about the NCAA tournament as we are down to the final six teams. I mean, I just think they're a really good team. I mean, they got you know all Americans. You know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, we had three freshmen in our starting lineup. Obviously, we were the youngest team and left in the Sweet 16. Those guys earned their starts based on how they played, but the, it's asking a lot for three freshmen in an Elite Eight game. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is Michael DeCourcy from Sporting News. Follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Mike, how are you this morning? Hi, Mike. I am well, Tyler. Ed, how are you? We are good. 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 Um, I'm curious, what, what do you think of Eric Musselman? Because he had a ton of success at Nevada. He's got Arkansas in the Elite Eight. He kind of seems insane. Like, is he one of the better coaches in college basketball? Well, he's doing a really nice job, no question. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, to say he's one of the better coaches in college basketball, I mean, he's only been at it half dozen years ish maybe a little longer than that uh, we got jay wright's been doing it for 20 and tom izzo been doing it for 30 and mike mike uh he's been doing it uh uh since since uh i was uh playing little league or something uh no it's not that long uh but you know i, I, I well i think i think Bayheim maybe uh, i still was playing pony league when he got going so <laughs> I, 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 he's he does a terrific job Mus and and Arkansas got a great hire there, without a doubt, and it'll be interesting to see if that's a destination for him or whether he has other ideas. Yeah, that's a great point. We were talking about that last night. Uh, you know, in the SEC, I'm sure his program is funded well. You get kind of what you want in the SEC, Mike. When you get to a point like that, um, my son asked me, "Well, would he take? Would he have taken IU? Do you take Duke when Shashevsky's like different kind of programs?" I don't know what would be on the list above an SEC school if you get it going there and the support you probably get financially. Yeah, not many, and that's what, you know. I, I I heard him speculated for one particular job that's not open, but that people are speculating will open for various reasons. And and my reaction right away was, well, that job doesn't pay. Uh, they 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 the way they they have things structured. Uh, that particular job, uh, and I don't talk about jobs that aren't open, so I won't say who, but. Um, that particular job doesn't pay the way, even though it's a major job, it doesn't pay the way an SEC school will pay you. Uh, right. So uh, I don't see him leaving for that. I, I think it, he would certainly have to listen if Texas called, and I don't know what Texas, uh, Texas's idea is. Uh, the, I, the, the notion that it, it's Chris Beard, for me, if, if it's Chris, I don't know why it's not done. I mean, if that's what you want, and he's he's right there, and if it's doable, then it would be done. So I have to wonder if it's, it may be not doable. That there's not a the only reason for Chris to leave Texas Tech for Texas is the 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 it's less difficult. I hate to say easier because easier implies any recruiting is easy. Uh, it's less difficult to recruit at Texas than it is at Texas Tech. But other than that, I mean, he's got all the money he want, he could want there, uh, even as much as Texas can pay. Texas Tech's taking very good care of him. He's very well paid. Uh, he's got great security there. I know there are family reasons. You, you guys well know uh, why he went there in the first place. Uh, so I, I, I don't see I, – I, I'm puzzled if that's the idea 
that why he wouldn't already be in Austin. On coaching changes, uh, what did you make of Indiana hiring Mike Woodson, and you know, what does that mean for where Indiana is right now? Well, I think it's an interesting um, it's an interesting experiment, and I, I don't think it's unfair to call it that uh, because although we've had in college basketball in the last two years one of the great success stories ever of of a person leaving the NBA to coach in college without having coached in college, and Jawan Howard, he was our Sporting News Coach of the Year this season. Done incredible work, just amazing. He's done wonderfully, but. Other than him and Frank, Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State, the track record of that route, oh, let's just get somebody from the NBA because they know who. Yeah, they do. I mean, it, Mike knows basketball really well, and he was a, a very capable NBA head coach. He did really nice work with the Hawks, and, and, and did, that anybody could have a winning season with the Knicks. I mean, you're like a Hall of Famer if you can do that <laughs> with, the, with the train wreck <laughs> they were for 20 years. Um, so there's no question he's, he can coach, but it is a different deal. I mean, Mike literally has not been involved in college basketball since I was a sophomore in college. And, guys, that's a long time ago. Uh, so that, that, that's changing who you are as a coach and, and the different nature of being a college coach versus NBA, where if you talk to Brad Stevens or Billy Donovan, the thing they say, man, all i got to do is coach basketball. That's all i got to do. Uh, X's and O's and – making sure the guys are happy and they understand their roles and scouting and film, but that's all I got to do. And they know that when they were college head coaches, there were about 75 other things they had to do in addition to basketball. And so that's going to be the challenge for Mike uh, to, to, to beat the trend. It's, it's still, the trend is, you know, Mike, uh, Mike has to, to, to beat the trend of, of Chris Mullen and Sidney Lowe and Clyde Drexler and uh, and Bob Hill at Fordham, and Mike Dunleavy at, at Tulane. That's the trend. What Juwan has done and what Fred Hoiberg did in 2012-13 going back there, That was those are the outliers. So it, I know Juwan allowed Indiana to think that there, that there was something there, but it, it's still, it, it, they still have to produce another outlier to be happy. Mike, uh, Gonzaga gets SC today. Wanted to ask you this, and I was glad uh, when you are coming on. I definitely want to ask this for all. And we've talked all about last week, comparative to the past, and we make fun of, you know what? You know, LeBron's not as good as Jordan. I've got people still saying Oscar is better than all of them, all of this stuff. And people love to compare eras. But of all the Final Fours and teams you've seen, can you put in perspective for us where Gonzaga would rank and where you think they are in terms of the teams you've seen that are the best teams? Well, I mean, if you if if you were going to play them, uh, they would be in the they would be in the upper echelon. There's no question. I mean, it, but uh, they would certainly not rank with uh, Kentucky '96, for instance. Even though they have won every game, and Kentucky '96 lost twice. They lost to UMass that year, and they lost in their SEC tournament final against Mississippi State, a game that. Uh, that Rick Pitino now now says he practically tried to lose. Uh, he didn't throw it, but uh, he wanted to send a message to his guys that that the NCAA tournament was not going to be a walk. So uh, he benched some guys for you know attitude things, and and they didn't win. And then they went in the <laughs> into the NCAA's and tore the place apart. And they were one of the great teams ever to play. Uh, as I said, he, he wasn't he wasn't he, he didn't say he threw it, but he did say he didn't mind losing. Let's put it that way. And 
but the, obviously uh, the the, uh, uh, the ninety two Duke team uh, that repeated uh, after after ninety one uh, with Grant Hill and and Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner they were phenomenal. Uh, so the, th- those are some of the great teams. Gonzaga would certainly be in the upper echelon, but they but they can't be in the upper echelon until they win the next three. I mean that's why I didn't mention right. the Rebels of ninety one. Uh, you, you, you're you're always one of the be- you're always the best team that didn't. You can't be the right. best team if you don't. So we both like USC on this show a lot, but I'm still concerned they're going to get blown out tonight. Uh, what do you think their chances are against Gonzaga? You know, I think one of the things about this tournament that you've seen is that teams that have thrown strategic wrinkles into uh, into the tournament, either by by game plan, this is what we have to do to stay alive for another day, or by nature, which is Syracuse, which uh, or Syracuse's defense or Loyola's offense, which is this is what we are, and it's different than everybody, and you've got to deal with it. Uh, Southern California's decision to play more zone in this tournament has been one of those deals that has changed how they've performed. Oregon State doing that in the Loyola game. They had they obviously had zone in their in their in their golf bag so to speak, uh, but it wasn't necessarily all of what they did. But then they brought it out against Loyola and, and barely played anything else. And then they last night when when the man and the and the two three matchup weren't working for them, then they tried a one three one and that did work for a very long time for Wayne Tinkle uh, against Houston. And so those kinds of things have made a big difference in this tournament. And so Southern Cal playing more zone could bother Gonzaga, without a doubt. But they haven't faced in this tournament much of it. Uh, Creighton did not do that. Creighton played man, although they didn't play much help off of Corey Kispert. It was sort of a, a, a wrinkle in, in man defense. But taking out Corey Kispert is fine. But then, you know, Jalen Suggs and, and, uh, and in that game, particularly Andrew Nemhard and Joel, uh, Joel Ajayi, uh, they – Ayayi, excuse me. I always want to call him Ajayi uh, because I remember Franklin Ajayi. But uh, Joel uh, Ayayi, he he really uh, those guys did a really nice job in that game of of taking advantage of what was available to them. So I, I think that with between the playing zone and the ability of Evan Mobley perhaps to to bother uh, Drew Timmy, uh, Drew has to be ready for maybe the biggest challenge he's faced this year. Uh, I think they can. I think they can be in that game. Uh, Blowouts always possible when the Zags are out there because offensively they're so incredible. But uh, I look at this and think that this is going to be difficult for them. Mike, we get it every year. I know you've tweeted about during this tournament when someone makes a run, it's always like, well, they didn't get the seed right. They didn't get the seed right in Oregon State. They didn't get the seed right in Loyola. But you go back to the moment of when they're seeding and they're looking at net and they're looking at the metrics, and that's how they seed. How do you think this tournament was seeded? And talk just a little bit about the perception that we always get when people make runs, like, well, they should have been seeded better. Yeah, you know, it's a, uh, my, my, my reaction to that this year has been, okay, so then the, the fourth-place team in the Summit League, Oral Roberts, should have been, what, a six seed? I mean, it's silly. It, 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 Oregon State couldn't possibly have been higher on the bracket. The, the, the fact... You know, honestly, Oregon State and Georgetown both winning the conference tournament simultaneously was a boon to the committee because if only one of them had won, it would have been a real seeding problem. But when they both won, it changed the at-large picture, and they were able to put them in at a 12 and feel fairly comfortable about it. it, it 
put him deeper into the field, the 13 line or 14 line, and it kind of causes problems for teams that have earned higher and they expect to play certain types of teams uh, in that first game. Uh, the, the, the two of them, uh, Georgetown and, and Oregon State, there was no other seed to put them at but 12. It was perfect for the committee. Uh, and as far as uh, you know, a team like, uh, uh, like Loyola, uh, uh, the problem with Loyola was their metrics were very good, and so everybody wants you to seed on the metrics. But the reality is that they played two difficult teams out of conference, uh, Wisconsin and Richmond, and lost both games. And they lost the Wisconsin game significantly. It was 14 or 16 points. They played three significant games in their conference, all against Drake, and they won two of them. And so they, they're, you know, out of their five toughest games, they were two and three. And the rest of their league wasn't that hard, and they dropped one of their games. They dropped a, another game in the league. So they didn't have that you know, rampage dominance through the, the Valley that would say that you have to do better by them. I honestly thought that an eight was reasonable. That's what I had. I, you know, I think the other bracket, you know, for Fox, the other bracket analysts mostly had them in that range. I went through it in a column, and I looked at the, the bracket matrix, if you've ever seen it. Uh, uh, they, they, they post every online bracket that's out there and do an average of it to get an idea of what the bracket might look like. And by the time you get to the end, there are over 200 brackets online, and they have, and they had that. And I think there was it was something like 70 percent had Loyola playing as as an eight seed. Uh, so I, I don't I don't think that 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 seeding for them at all was unreasonable. I just think that they were different, like I said, and Illinois didn't react well to it. Well, he is Mike DeCourcy from Sporting News. Again, follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Mike, we appreciate it. Good stuff this morning. Thanks, Mike. Always Take care of yourself. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Talk Ed. to you soon. Talk to you soon. See you. Yeah. Uh, boy, still, wait, still waiting for SC Gonzaga. I mean, I, that, I think – I hope it's really, really close. I do. You've been so excited about a game that's going to be a 20-point It's going to be a Tyler Bischoff 25-point win. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I like USC, too. All right, coming up next – We get the rest of Jared's all-fish baseball team. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. So we've had a few reports uh, that... Kevin Kruger has made his first hire as an assistant coach. Carlin Hartman will become an assistant at UNLV. Hartman is leaving Oklahoma, where he had been an assistant for, uh, I believe it's the last four seasons, uh, with Oklahoma, five seasons for Oklahoma. So he will be leaving Oklahoma to come to UNLV and be an assistant. Uh, So that's the first person that uh, Kevin Kruger has hired. Yeah. Obviously, familiarity uh, coming from Oklahoma. I don't know if it'll be the last in terms of coaches and our players, but, uh, you know, when it's your first job, I think you definitely uh, lean on people you know and, you know, you've had relationships with. And obviously, uh, Lon, his dad, has a close relationship. And so not surprised at all. It's someone that kind of, for lack of a better term, is kind of in the family, and he would know him really well. All right, so I think I need to reset this because I doubt that many people were listening at 7.45 or yesterday when we did this. But uh, yesterday on the show, we discovered Mike Trout's nickname is Kingfish. Um, we were After confused. After an embarrassing until, amount of time, we were confused. Yeah, 
we didn't know why until we realized, oh, his, his last name is Trout. So that's where that comes from. So today, Jared is giving us the all-fish name team in baseball. And so far, we've gotten Kevin Bass is our left fielder. Tim Salmon is our right fielder. Lip Pike is our third baseman. And Oyster Burns is our shortstop. Uh, Oyster Burns once stabbed a teammate who was taking a nap in center field. Um, so that is uh, four players on our all-fish team. Jared, we're, we're ready for the rest of it. All right, cool. First base, Sid Bream. Oh, Sid, Sid Bream. Bream. Wow. What is, why are you so wowing about that? I just remember Sid Bream. I can't, a blast from the past, Sid Bream. Okay, all right, good one, Jared. <laughs> You do remember him. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I remember the name. All right. Catcher, Hank Conger, which is a type of eel. Conger uh, is the type of eel? C-O-N-G-E-R, type of eel. Right. Eat it? No idea who that is. You don't, Hank Conger plays now. Wait, how do you, how do no you know idea. who the hell Sid Bream is, but you don't know yeah, a guy that plays now? Is Conger in the, on the Dodgers? Then and if not, then you know, Oh, my God, on. please let him be, actually be on the Dodgers. <laughs> Listen, I just looked up a conger eel. These things are kind of horrifying. Second base. Oh Bobby Sturgeon. Oh, okay. Sturgeon. That's a, That's a good one. Wait, when did Bobby Sturgeon play? Do you not remember him, Ed? Get it together. No, I remember Bobby Sturgeon. All right. <laughs> Our DH, AJ Pollock. Ah. Coming strong. Coming strong, my friend. All right. Do we Where'd have, you do we have find all these? Now? Did you just did you just Google fish names? No. This, I'm, okay. So, and I was telling, take you behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, take the audience behind the curtain. I was telling you guys, this is like an assignment every time it's Mike Trout's birthday. Like in honor of Mike Trout's birthday, here's the top twenty-seven fish-related baseball players. In honor of Mike Trout's birthday, here's the all-time fish-related. Baseball, like there's, wow. there are multiple articles from multiple years that I had to choose from. Like this is just apparently some like some random bloggers like, ah crap, it's my year to do the fish article. <laughs> so right. how, so field. what are we doing? Okay, we're going center field now. Mike Trout. Oh boo! Oh. yeah, he's right. kind of good. Is his uh Jared is his a uh, career wins above replacement higher than the entire rest of the roster? Almost combined. Yeah, <laughs> I assume so. All right, uh, what what are we doing for pitching staff? One pitcher, multiple pitchers. What are we doing? I mean, here? all right. So let's start with uh, Dizzy Trout. There's a person named Dizzy Trout. Yeah. How old is this guy? The, the, I don't understand how you're not doing this with uh without baseball reference open. Uh. Catfish. I'm, I'm not doing it. You're doing all the work, not me. Catfish hunter. Okay, oh, that's, that, good that's, 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 that's good. That's yeah, that's obvious. That's good. One. Yeah. Uh, Mudcat Grant. No, Mudcat. Yep. Mudcat Grant. We were, baseball names were better. Like they were just they better were. when it was <laughs> when when it was just a bunch of dudes. So it's like, what's his name? Oyster. What's yours? Mudcat. Oh, <laughs> Mudcat, Mudcat didn't even play in the 1800s. Mudcat played as recently as 1971. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I like Mudcat. Yeah, I like Mudcat. Mudcat Grant, this is this is good. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Art Herring. Okay. Marlon Stewart. Oh, Somebody's name Marlon, was Marlon? Good, good you. Good for you. And then there's a bunch of Rays. Like, you know, Bobby, <laughs> like, obviously. Oh, like, Robbie Ray. Yeah. Robbie Ray pitches now. I yeah. like Rays. Mud who's that, who's that catcher? Who's that catcher that plays now? Who's that? Hank Conger? That, that's, you just want to know his name? I just want to know his name. Uh, Please. I got a fantasy draft coming up. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, hold on a second. So he, no wonder Tyler knows him. He played for the Astros. Yeah, for like a day. Well, he played for him. Angels, yeah. Astros, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Oh, he Let's played for the Reno. Oh, no, it says cur- his current team is Reno Aces. This kid's not in the majors. It's in the Reno. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I didn't know him. <laughs> 